0: Our scripture text this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, we're going to be doing things a little bit different today. As instead of a normal sermon, uh, we're going to be bringing uh, three candidates, three elder candidates been named last week before you to speak about their view of pastoring, how they are how they are seeking to lead you to a greater love and, and zeal for God. Uh, but I want to just take a few minutes and look at uh, some of the things that we just read about and uh, that Melanie just read in 1 Peter 5. Um, just a couple aspects of eldering to kind of set the table for them. First, I think you see uh, that there is a, a cost to eldering. There is suffering involved in it. Notice with me in verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, uh, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. Now, what's interesting is you'd think he'd say, I exhort the elders among you, and then he'd go right to the, right to the verb, right to the command, shepherd the flock of God. But he kind of puts that little parenthesis in there that you see in verse 1. He speaks about himself as a fellow elder, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter could have said, listen, I'm coming to you as one who saw the transfiguration. I was one of the important three of the 12, and I saw the resurrection, and I was an apostle, and, and I'm, I'm the rock that he's going to start building. He could have said a lot of things, but he speaks to the suffering of Christ. He's reminding these elders that eldering is a path of struggle. It's a path of suffering. There's costs involved. He saw it in the ministry of Jesus leading up to his death. He saw it in his own ministry. And he knew that these elders had suffered, that there's a cost. Now, listen, he says there's glory to be revealed clearly, but there's a tension. Do you see the tension? There is the suffering before the glory. As Charles Spurgeon would say, there's the helmet before the crown. There's the battle before the victory. And there is, these men are embracing a path of suffering. Uh, the lack of time that they the time that they'll be using to serve the people, the criticisms of the sheep that they'll face, the difficulty of situations that they're going to walk into, not knowing exactly what to say or how to respond perfectly, the giving of their time and effort, changing schedules around so as to serve the people of God that they might be prepared to see the glory of God. So you see a cost in eldering, but you also see the role in eldering. Look with me back at verse two. He says shepherd the flock of God that's among you exercising oversight. This idea of shepherding or exercising oversight. You know they're overseeing your lives and the ministries of this church. So consider like a shepherd leading the sheep. They're watching over them, making sure they get the green pastures, make sure they get the quiet waters, make sure make sure that they get to paths of righteousness this is the call of the elder to oversee the ministries of this church to oversee the missions education there's a clear authority implied here to oversee i think we saw this too in first timothy chapter uh, 3 verse or chapter 5 verse 17 it says honor those elders who rule well that word rule means to manage there is management involved in fact, the same word that elders are to manage well, the same word is used in chapter 3, verse 4, when you look at the, the character of the elder, that they're to manage their family well. Like a father in a family has responsibility and authority to make sure that his family is run well. That's a responsibility of the father and mother, but primarily the focus is on the father. And so that same management is these elders are to be like looking over and making sure that you are moving towards a greater love and zeal for God. Their main objective is that when you see God, you'll thank God for their influence in your life in preparing them. Not teasing you, not tickling your ears with fancy stuff, but actually saying words that may be hard sometimes. Uh, But building up, encouraging, walking with you. Now this authority they have uh, is is a derived authority you are the flock of god you are god's people it, it, it's uh, the roles that they play are for your good and that's why god has raised up elders now these elders rule by plurality by plurality now i said a few months back that uh, we We deal with our, you know, there's going to be 10 people in the room now if these men are elected. 10 people in the room deciding and making, you know, trying to consider things and make decisions. Now, you know, I said before that we rule by consensus. And by consensus, I meant that everybody needs to say what they're thinking to make sure that we draw the wisdom, experience, and the godliness of all the players around the table. This doesn't mean we rule by unanimity. Very few things are ever demanded that we want everybody to be on the same page. It's more by majority. An example, a case in point was a few years back, I introduced the idea of deaconesses, wanting the role of deaconesses to kind of be established in the church. And two of the elders were kind of, they weren't for it, but they weren't on the same page with me and a few others that advanced it. So we just tabled it. We haven't done anything about it. Uh, these elders were important, they represented and understood the needs of the church, so we just waited. So so plurality is utilizing all the individual thoughts of all the people to make the best decision as it pertains to the people of God. So, so elders will embrace a certain suffering and cost, they have a role, but notice the manner in which they're to elder. Look with me at the second half of 2 and 3, Because he says, they exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Notice this willingness is significant. Why? Because of the costs I just talked about. You know, when Peter was instructing these elders, uh, you can't force people into embrace the suffering. You know, the branch of the military that we have, the U.S. Marines, it's the only volunteer branch. Why? Because they usually go in first. They're usually facing, oftentimes, the fiercest fighting. And so Peter is saying that elders need to aspire. They need to be willing. They need to want to move toward the people of God, even though they know the cost that they're going to face. Now, in First Peter, much of the cost was coming from outside the church. But as you look through the writings of Paul... Most of the conflict that we face, or at least that's written about in the New Testament letters, is actually from within the church. That's where a lot of the conflict comes. And these elders have to be willing to want to endure the difficulty so as to keep a people on point leading them to God. They want to be willing, eager. That's why I always ask elders, do you want to see people grow in Christ? And are you willing to embrace the costs of loss of time, difficult situations, sometimes hurt people that say mean things? Are you willing to do that for them to move forward in Christ? And if they don't, and some have said, I don't think I want that. And I appreciate their honesty, frankly. I'm saying that it's probably not a role. Because we want to be willing and eager. But we also want to be having elders that take the long approach you know, he, he says being examples to the flock. Any parent here knows it's easier to tell your child what to do than to show them what to do. It's a lot longer process of example and godliness to people. But these men are called to do that. They're called to embrace this idea of, of exampling, opening their lives, letting you see their marriages, letting you see their families, letting you see their struggles. And then you watch them in godliness and you can see, remember, being examples, they're not perfect. We sin. We make errors in judgment. We make mistakes in how we say things. You know, sometimes we're supposed to admonish the idol and be patient with the weak, and sometimes we get those twisted. I mean, the elders are human beings uh, who often make mistakes that can hurt. We need to be confronted and repent for those things. But, but the elders aren't perfect. But there are to be examples, even in their imperfections. Now, uh, over the past 24 years that I've been here, but even before that, we always have the elders get up and kind of speak to the nature of what do they think eldering is, so that you can be informed. Uh, the purpose of this month here that you have, and over the next few weeks, they're going to be visibly present in the sanctuary and the and in the foyer for you to ask them questions. You can come up to them and and ask them questions about, you know, about their faith. Have they suffered? how they handle suffering and faith? Ask them about their families. Ask them about their marriages. Ask them about their theology. How long have they been in the faith? Ask them about their reputation among the community. These are the qualifications that Paul tells us to investigate in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Get to know them. These men that we're going to bring before you are gifted. Uh, they aspire, they desire to take this role on. Uh, I think they're, uh, they are already eldering, which is part of the requirement of being an elder. If these elders, um, they're not representative, necessarily, of your views. They may actually differ with you on some things. You're not looking for a representative to advance your points on life. You're looking for a man who is godly, who's faithful, who thinks God is the most important one to please, who's willing to even disagree for the purposes of something better. You're looking for someone who can keep their mouth closed when they hear intimate details of other situations. They need to be silent, not to gossip, but to keep it close, prayerfully, considering. We are not, you know, the elders, these men have come to us, uh, members is, of this church, uh, you can recommend people to us. You can say, hey, I see godliness in these people's lives. And, and that, that's a good way to initiate a conversation. But at the end of the day, they need to aspire. So we have Miguel, will speak first. Miguel has been eldering. He's been in this church close to seven years, leading a care group. He has a godly family, wonderful wife and children. He trains men and women up at the seminary as a New Testament professor. Godly man, he will speak first and Levy will follow. Uh, Levy's been a member of this church longer than I am. I have, he brings wisdom, pastoral heart. Uh, They're all good teachers. Uh, Sometimes people want to say, well, well, we need new blood in. Well, we're getting new blood in, but we want some of the old blood too. uh, Because they've been around a long time and they've walked through life a long, long time. And they can bring a lot of wisdom to bear on life both through their scriptural understanding, but their experience. And then thirdly, Daniel. Daniel's been among us for over seven years. You've seen him uh, develop as a leader. He's a pastoral heart. As I said, a good teacher. And each one of these three will speak. And you're listening to them as they're appealing to you and put, being put forth to you as futures, uh, future elders of this church. So I'll have them come up now, and then I'll close us after they finish.
1: Well, I'd like to begin by saying that I'm I'm humbled uh, to be considered for the role of elder. Um, I understand it's a weighty task, uh, one that should be taken uh, with much prayer and counsel. Uh, that's why I have spent time petitioning the Lord for, for guidance and seeking the wisdom of, of seasoned believers. I also understand that the chief shepherd is returning uh, to render judgment, so eldering should not be done haphazardly, domineeringly, or for selfish gain. For one day, shepherds will give an account for how they have cared for Jesus' sheep. Uh, with that in mind, I'll present my view of eldering in four points. Uh, you'll likely hear some overlap with what uh, Tom has already said. It's a good thing, as well as some of the others, uh, other guys who were coming uh, today. Uh, for you, diehard Baptists, I tried to present my view in three points. It didn't work, um, so my apologies uh, ahead of time. Uh, so, point one uh, of four: uh, Elders should seek to, as Ephesians 4:11 through 13 says, uh, equip the saints for the work of ministry, uh, building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, uh, the role of elder uh, is to encourage people to be more like Jesus, uh, to see them grow more and more like the one who gave his life for them. This is done through a variety of ways, like teaching, preaching, counseling, leading a care group, uh, or investing in the lives of those who are training for ministry. Uh, It also involves seeking out the broken, the hurting, uh, as well as those who have been or are estranged uh, from the body. It involves encouraging others to share the gospel with the lost through evangelism and mission efforts so that they too may attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Point two, elders should pray regularly. They should pray that the spirit would empower them to minister faithfully, that they would be kept from sin uh, and lead them to maturity in Christ. Uh, Because without the Spirit, of course, it's impossible to do anything good. So we rely on the Spirit. Elders do as well. So elders should pray that the Spirit would enable them to do all that could never be done without him. And that's absolutely everything. Um, Also, elders should pray that the Spirit might move in the lives of the congregation, that he might encourage them, equip them, and convict them of sin, all of which are necessary for growth and holiness. So it's not that elders just stand there and do nothing, it's just that nothing good, nothing that leads to holiness, is ever accomplished by anyone's efforts alone, no matter how gifted or talented a person may be. So elders should labor faithfully, all the while praying that the Spirit would work through them and others. To lead the church to maturity in Christ. Uh, point three: uh, Elders should protect the flock from false teachers. And false teachers. Uh, in Acts 20, Paul says that after his departure, uh, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise people speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. One of the surest ways to protect uh, the flock from false teachers is to promote sound preaching and teaching in the church through which people are trained to recognize orthodoxy from heterodoxy. What is true from what is false. It's also important for elders to be aware of false teachings, identify those and mention those and work through those. Uh, These are kinds of teachings that lead people astray or are endangering the spiritual growth of the church. Uh, Point four, uh, elders should be examples to the flock. Uh, They should be able to say, like the Apostle Paul, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Their example should be displayed in their godly character, how they shepherd their families, their hospitality, as well as what they believe and they teach. But none of this can be done at arm's length or from a distance. Rather, being examples to the flock requires an elder to be regularly involved in the lives of the people of the church. It may entail, um, it does entail inviting people over for dinner, uh, meeting them for coffee or breakfast, um, visiting the sick, spending time with widows, uh, the broken, the lonely, uh, the hurting. Um, It may even involve continuing to play on the church softball team uh, after you've had multiple hamstring injuries and a torn pectoral muscle. Um, (laughs) Even if it means you play at a much slower pace than you did just a few years ago. Um, It is incredibly humbling. So now, these points are not exhaustive in any way. I've tried to be brief and concise, uh, and there's certainly more that can be said. Uh, But they do represent what I believe uh, are some central responsibilities for an elder, um, things that um, I should strive to do as well as as anyone else aspiring to the office um, of elder, right? Because these points ultimately should, these things that elders do, uh, should encourage the spiritual growth of, the church, right? And once again, there, there are four of them. They're there one, to encourage spiritual growth, uh, to pray regularly, uh, to guard against false teaching, and to be examples for the flock, right? All of which should lead to the church's growth into the one who gave his life so that his people will be sanctified, holy, and without
2: blemish. Thank you. Good morning, I'm Levi Regalado as Tom mentioned. My wife Carmen and I usually attend the second service so there's a chance that there are folks here that I haven't met personally yet. And if that's the case, please approach me afterwards because I would like to know each and every one of the people I'm aspiring to serve. Now before anything else, I would like to make clear that some of the language I will use in what I'm about to say might sound like I'm 100% sure that I will be on the board. I make no such presumption. I do so only to simplify and hopefully make clear my message this morning. If the Lord wills and this this body decides to let me serve, I will serve. Also, Carmen, my wife, is and has always been supportive of me serving in this capacity. And I would like to mention that she, as well as the current elders' wives, are partners in ministry and they don't get acknowledged enough for their own sacrifices in giving their husbands the freedom to serve and for serving the body in their own quiet way. Now in First Peter 5, which is the passage that Melanie read to us earlier, there's an exhortation for elders to shepherd the flock. The word shepherd used in its verb form means to tend to, to guard, and to guide, in short, to care for. Other places in scripture get more specific as to how this care looks like. For example, Acts chapter 20, which Miguel already cited, but I'll read it again, says that part of an elder's responsibility is to guard the church against false teachers, what Paul called fierce wolves that come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now we find a positive side of that exhortation in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where it says that an elder must be able to teach, which means an elder is to instruct the body in sound doctrine and theology. And in the same passage in 1 Timothy, it says that an elder must manage his own household well, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So another aspect of an elder's care is to manage the affairs of the church. Now we can list down more things that an elder does, but we have to ask, What is an elder's ultimate goal in caring for the people under his care? It is an eternal goal. The governance, the theology of the pulpit, being an example, etc., all of these things and more are meant to prepare you for that final day when you behold the face of God. And it will be an elder's eternal joy to know that he even had a small part in that. Now, it can be daunting to know that in caring for a person, an elder is caring for someone with an eternal soul. Whenever I read the qualifications of an elder listed in 1 Timothy, I, I realize that I will always have room to improve and that I should always be looking for ways to better myself as a leader. But may I just say that with the exception of being able to teach, the character traits listed there are expected of every Christian. I mean, one cannot say, I'm not an elder, so I don't have to be gentle or self-controlled. I'm not an elder, so I can be violent and quarrelsome, etc. No, s- scripture does not make these character traits required for elders, but not everyone else. Anyway, heeding the exhortation in First Peter, I want to shepherd the flock of God willingly and eagerly. I should not look at it as a means to gain something for myself. I don't want to be domineering. And I want to set the example. I, I want to make the necessary changes in my life to grow in these areas. But in the end, any changes I make in my approach in leadership will be in vain, unless I keep in step with the spirit by being mindful of some things pertaining to leadership as an elder. I could list down many, but I would like to mention only three today. I'm not being a, a diehard Baptist, but I, I really had three to start with, okay? <laughs> First, I, would, I need to keep in mind that my love for God is the fuel that keeps my love for the people of Christ's covenant alive. I've served as an elder in this church for a number of years, and I will say that when I started, my love for this church was not what it is now. It has grown, as did my understanding of eldering. But what happened? Well, as the years passed, I grew in my knowledge of the character of God and in my love for him. And what I found was that, as I did, I grew as well in my love for what he loves and what he deems important. And the more I came to understand how much he loves the church, the more I love the people who are in it. To be clear, I'm not exclusively talking about brotherly and sisterly feelings of affection, although I would certainly like to have that for the folks in Christ's covenant. I'm talking about a love that seeks to serve and instill greater Christ-likeness in people, even when warm, fuzzy feelings are absent. In fact, not only could the warm, fuzzy feelings be absent, but there could be difficult, challenging, even sad situations within the church and in my own life that could rob me of the desire to serve. Therefore, I need to fuel my love for God and consequently continue to fuel a love for his people. Second, I need to keep in mind that the gospel is what will fuel my joy in serving. Because of the highly visible nature of serving on the elder board, I know that my actions and decisions will be subject to close scrutiny and could possibly lead to judgment and criticism. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about sinful actions for which I'm not and shouldn't be, exempt from reproach. Rather, I'm speaking of wisdom decisions that require judgment calls on my part. I know this is bound to happen because in a church this size, this is only half the church, there will, be 100%, there will never be 100% agreement on an issue. And during those times, criticisms, whether valid or unfair, can be a joy robber in ministry. If and when those moments come, When I'm struggling to have joy in my service, I turn to the ultimate source of joy, the gospel. I recall God's assessment of my spiritual state in Romans 3, 23, where he said that I have sinned and fall short of his glory. But then he lets me know in his word that he sent his son to atone for my sins and be reconciled with him and I stand justified before him. That is my source of joy when all other earthly sources of joy have run dry. I can then view earthly criticisms and judgments with an eternal perspective when I hold on to Paul's statement in Romans 8.33, which rhetorically asks, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God knows everything about me, and I stand before him justified. That will bring me to fall before him in worship and gratitude, and then, and then, I can press on and continue to serve his people joyfully. Lastly, I need to keep in mind that in serving the saints of this church, ultimately I'm serving God. The office of elder is not a position of privilege the way the world defines privilege, but in a different sense it is. It's not uncommon in our society to associate fame, wealth, power, etc., and other things we label as privilege with certain leadership Uh, positions, such as being a CEO, holding a political office, etc. Not so with leadership in the church. It does have a different kind of privilege, and that is to serve the king of kings in a capacity that has a clear promise in scripture of rewards for a job well done. And because church leaders are ultimately accountable to him, he is the one who determines whether or not we shepherded well. Serving the saints in this church can take many forms, but ultimately it is by helping my brothers and sisters live for God and joyfully, keeping in mind the sobering thought and weighty burden that I will give an account to him for how I led his people, hoping hoping that in the end he'll find me worthy of the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that, my friends, is a privilege that comes with this service. That's all I have to say. I welcome anyone who would like to get to know me better to speak with me in the days to come. Thank you all for listening.
3: My name is Daniel Harmon. I think I'm known by most of you, uh, though the Lord has been so kind to bring uh, many new folks to our church lately that I have yet to meet. I've been one of the staff pastors here at the church for seven years now, and it is my joy to state publicly that these years have been some of the happiest of my life. I've often thanked God that He brought me and my family to Christ Covenant Church. Uh, Serving as a fellow shepherd with the other elders here has often been a source of praise and thanks in my heart to God. But what is this shepherding work? What does it mean to be a pastor? To be an elder I want to read Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 Paul writes and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So friends, this is the grand undertaking of each of our lives as we are bound together as the church to to grow up in Christ, to reach maturity in Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To, To love and know and treasure Jesus Christ, becoming more like him day by day. This is why we live. Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So this is where he's taking us. This is the aim of our lives, to be conformed to the image of the son. Paul writes, the Philippians, sensing his own death for the sake of Christ, could be just around the corner. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says he's hard pressed between the two. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, and here's the key phrase, for your progress and joy Mm -hmm. in the faith. So God has given shepherds to the church to equip its members for this very work. To be conformed to the image of the Son, for our mutual progress and joy in the faith. Until we all attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I want with all my heart to be about this work. To labor and toil first for the spiritual good of my wife and my children. And then to give myself to see each of you established in Christ and growing in him. Which necessarily means helping you seek the same thing for one another. Which has a further entailment, the faithful proclamation of Christ for the sake of God's elect still scattered abroad. Who will be brought in by your faithful witness. I I want to help you do that. I want to help you love Christ and help you be a light for Christ. To be a disciple and to make disciples. The office of elder is a weighty calling. Paul writes, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So I say with all sincerity before you and the Lord, this is my desire to serve you in this capacity... At the same time, the question has to be asked how can the man who stands before you possibly be of any spiritual benefit to you? Is my life worthy of imitation? I too am walking towards that final day, limping as I go, very conscious of my own inadequacies, taking my soul to task, and fighting my own sin. I think it's incumbent on any pastor to daily tell himself, you're not that big of a deal. And my dear wife helps me with this a lot. She told me 20 years ago, sweetheart, you have this tendency to talk about things you know nothing about. (laughs) Precious, loving words for my soul. I read somewhere that when a pastor prays with someone, even he prays with coffee breath. I I am a man, which means inevitably I will disappoint you. I will misspeak. I may fail to deliver the encouraging word you needed to hear. I may rush ahead in a conversation when I should have been more patient and just listened. I may cause offense even without realizing what I've done. These things are not difficult for me to list. They they come quickly to mind. They, they, They grieve me. I don't share these things to curry sympathy, but to set forth the reality of walking this office out while sin and the fallen world remain. I think an elder should be marked by a humble recognition of who he is as a mere man in daily need of the grace of God. And yet so anchored in that grace that his life can shine for the sake of others. And that means encouraging, correcting, teaching, pointing those under his care to Jesus Christ. I long to expend myself for your good, Christ covenant church. To see you grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And if I never have another job for the rest of my life, I will be a happy man. So may the Lord Jesus Christ always be glorified in this church.
0: Oh, To, to Miguel's point, I do have a fourth point. Um, and, and that is that, look with me back at verse 4, because I talked to you about the cost, I talked to you about the role, I talked to you about the manner, but now I'm talking to you about the reward, or both really a warning and an encouragement. And 4 he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Interestingly, uh, that's the first time and only time that that example or that word is used to describe Jesus. He is the chief shepherd when he appears. Now, when he appears, he will reward this eternal crown of glory. Uh, But as Miguel pointed out, there is a accountability that takes place first. There's a conversation before the crown is what I'm saying. There is a, a time with Jesus over how have we done with his sheep. And we see it in James chapter three, verse one, that teachers will incur a stricter judgment. There's this, there's this day that comes where Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, speaks with his under shepherds. And he says, how have you led my flock? How have you How have you persevered with them? How have you endured their criticisms? How have you invested into their messy part of their lives? How have you sacrificed yourself for their good? How have you weighed in on things courageously, knowing that you would suffer for it? How have you given of yourselves to them? How have you adjusted your schedules for them? These are the questions that I anticipate having to answer. Now, for those of you, many will say, well, the the elders are accountable to the church. And they are. You'll vote them in. You'll vote them out. Uh, We're bound by bylaws. But let me remind you that this accountability far outweighs that. The accountability. He says in Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. That is a weighty day. For me, it is increasingly sobering as my days move towards that conversation. It it really can thin out the line of people who want to be an elder. That's why he gives the encouragement, that's why he wants to fan into flame men who aspire to the task, that they will see the chief shepherd and receive this crown. It's like a wreath in some Greek athletic competition. You know, the, the future glory fuels the present sufferings is what he's doing. You kind of see a picture of that in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In fact, Jonathan Edwards preached on this when he was being removed from his church. And he said, For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. He saw the relationship between pastor and people to be essential for all of our glory. Let me just end with John Calvin who said, Lest then the faithful servant of Christ be broken down, there is for him one and only one remedy, to turn his eyes to the coming of Christ. Thus it will be that he who seems to derive no encouragement from the men and women will assiduously go on in his labors, knowing that a great reward is being prepared for him by the Lord. So you have these three men placed before you. I would encourage you to to pray with them, pray for them, pray for us as a church as we walk through these days, ask some questions, get to know them. Find out what they think, how they believe their families. That way we can vote with a good and clear conscience at the end of the month. Let's take a moment and just silently ask God together, but silently, let's ask God for wisdom and grace, and I'll pray for us in just a moment.